Hey there, my name is Tyler. I'm Mary. I'm Aaron. And I'm Kylie. And we'd like to invite you to join us in the Fortress of Comicitude podcast, where we discuss such topics as... Creator Focus, where we pull a comic creator's name out of a bucket and talk about their history and books they've worked on. We also do what's called the Comic Book Club, where we pick a book, read page by page, and analyze how cool it is. And Was It Really That Bad, where we take an old comic book movie from the past that got horrible reviews and decide if it was truly, really that bad. Plus creator interviews, movie reviews, top five lists, and so much more. So join us in the Fortress of Comictude. So who can take tomorrow? Think of the children. Put it in a dream. Separate the sorrow, then collect up all the cream. The candy man. I said the can, 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 candy man, can. The candy man, candy man, he makes a with love to make. The world tastes good. Oh, oh somebody please candy think man. of the children. Can candy man. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hello, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to another very spooky episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye as uh, we review Candyman. 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 Seriously, y'all are going to have to stop. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, that's a real Does that count, that count as six or... How many did that count as? No, no, no. I did did four. You did two. Okay. Fair. Okay. We're all right. We're all good. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, we're we're talking about uh, the original 1992 uh, film. uh, And uh, it's it's me, Andy Wilson, your host. Go check out my stuff on Graphic Policy or Bleeding Cool. And here returning champion melissa martinez how you doing melissa hello always the victor (laughs) i was listening to another podcast this week uh john lovett's love it or leave it and he had paul Shear on there and he introduced paul Shear as the returning champion i'm like you're stealing you're stealing our bit love it yeah you can't yeah, yeah, there can only be one. That's right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Melissa we versus Paul uh, My money. Highlander duel. Melissa, Melissa, yeah. Melissa uh, ten to one, easy. Yeah, yeah. I could take him. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, and also here, uh, the person who told us we had to do Candyman. <laughs> Brooke, hi. Good. How you doing, Brooke? You're welcome. Oh, yeah. so good. I'm so glad. <laughs> oh, such a good movie. So had, it, had you guys all seen it before this? But not yeah, for you. Yeah, but it had been a while. Oh. So much well, better as an adult. I'm yeah. doing very well. I won't yeah, even call you. We missed you last back. week, but um, we're, we're, glad, we're glad you're back. For sure. Thank you. There are lots of healthy puppies, and I'm back for Candyman. So yay! <laughs> oh, All so right. now now we know what gets you uh, especially pumped for podcasts. No matter what the movie is, we just have to say possible Candyman visit. There yeah. you go. No James Woods and extra Tony disemboweling Todd. Tony Todd. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, the the Xander Berkeley of our Thank podcast. You. Thank you, <laughs> JB Flinders. Check out my publication on. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Your publication on how to be a bastard uh, professor um, in the 90s. You'll see my work at Sherwin-Williams uh, in the in the paint section. That's where I do my best work. <laughs> that that beautiful mauve uh, Pepto-Bismol color. I will yeah. throw this bucket of Pepto at your wall, jerk. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so wait, Candyman. What a great um, what a great film, Brooke. Thank you. Because again, we, so much better than when I watched it in the yes. 90s. Oh, it's great, excellent. isn't it? As soon as the music started and they're panning over the city, did anyone else just get a little giddy inside? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I wish my phone hadn't died last night and that I could have watched it with you all, but I was I was mm. out cold. I was sleeping like a little baby. That's fine. We all enjoyed the um, the the gothic choir uh, singing <laughs> over Philip Glass and yeah, going through Chicago. Uh, I, could, I kept thinking about that part in South Park where Philip Glass does the, the Christmas. Happy, 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 My eyes start. Da, da, da. Anyway, I don't know why. Wonderful. Um. So yeah, yeah. if. if now I know we, we talked a little bit about this off, but uh, you know, part of the thing that scared me the most was not the Candyman part, but everything around, like how it was set up, right? Like the legend and um, some of the components that they raised early in the film, right? This was one of those movies where it wasn't actually the horror part that scared me, but some of like the gentrification piece and you know, Melissa, some of the history of the actual like neighborhood that they used, so. I didn't know if anyone else got that or, or you know, Andy, what, what you and Melissa had researched. I, I'd be super interested in what both of you thought. I was just, yeah, I was like, I forgot this movie doesn't like get into the murders until like two thirds of the way through it. I remember it being this like all killer, uh, no filler movie. And it's like, no, it's a slow burn for the first hour, but it's like, it's intense and it's really good. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 sort of like you've got uh, Virginia Madsen's got that real kind of Dana Scully vibe going on, where you know she's um, you know she's skeptical of of all of this, and you know we have to investigate the urban legend and the truth behind this uh, this thing, and then suddenly supernatural shit starts happening, and it's like uh it's great it's such a great intense mix and i i really enjoyed it yeah i agree i i, I don't I, I hadn't seen it since the 90s and i you know in 92 i was like 16 or something you know i i mean you know when you're 16 the world centers around you or at least you think it does and and you're not always the most observant and there's so many things that now with my middle-aged eyes I'm like how did I miss this because like you I I think I thought of it as like more of like a slasher uh, flick but it's not that at all it's it's just intense it's psychological it's um and it's a lot of social commentary that totally went over my head the first time I saw this and so um as JB alluded to I went down this kind of deep dive after the movie I was kind of tired you know I was kind of sleepy and I thought I was going to go to bed when we finished watching it last night and then but I was like no it kept bothering me I had to look up so many things up um, but a lot of it was about 
uh, Cabrini Green, which is the housing project that it's set in. And the thing I can say the most, I think, I think the best comparison is almost like Rome, like ancient Rome, how it was this wonderful civilization and then it just kind of fell, you know? I think Cabrini Green can kind of be compared to that. It was this public housing, it was supposed to be affordable and comfortable housing for African-Americans, especially ones who came back from like the war, like veterans and stuff. And and it was really great. Like people looked out for each other. They were great neighbors. People felt safe there. They even, some people didn't even lock their doors. But the darker side of it is that the reason this housing was needed is because like, you know, like veterans get this bill that pays for their education or they can get mortgages. If you were black and a veteran, that didn't apply to you. It was only yeah. like white, white, white veterans. veterans. Yeah. White veterans got that. Yeah. And so you needed some place to put all these people, and that's what they did. They so they it seems like the right idea, but for the wrong damn reasons. You know what I'm saying? Um, and there just became a, a lot of like disrepair. People did you know things started falling apart. Nobody cared. The Chicago Housing Authority, which is notoriously corrupt, um, just didn't take care of the place. And then um, another housing project apparently burned or down or something. Something happened to it and they moved a bunch of those residents over to Cabrini Green, which caused like an all-like gang war, basically, um, because there was one gang at this other project and then the gang that was at Cabrini Green and they started kind of warring with each other. And I think they said in like one year, there was like 38 murders just at Cabrini Green one year. I mean, just, you know, I mean, think about it. That's one murder every two days, you know? Um, I mean, that's just insane, you know? And people had no choice but to live there because they couldn't afford any place else because of the racism. Um, and, and I mean, that's just glossing over some of the history of it, but, but, you know, I, and I'm sure Andy can fill in more of the blanks, but there's a long, just horrifying history of, of neglect and racism, just um, and redlining, just so much crap. And and uh, it, it's just the perfect setting, unfortunately, for this movie. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. I didn't pick up on any of the redlining stuff, obviously. When I mean when I was 16, 17, whenever I saw this movie, I didn't know what redlining was. I'd never heard of it, but you know, she's right there saying like, look, this is the identical apartment building to Cabrini green. And what happened was they built it in, you know, over here. And because the, the freeway wasn't there to block it off, they couldn't redline it. And so white people moved in to get nice, affordable apartments and the, you know, the area thrived and Cabrini green, you know, because they had the highways surrounding it, they're able to cut it off and starve it from investment, which is what redlining really is all about. Banks refuse to give money to people who want to open businesses there, buy housing there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, people are are stuck in there in poverty and there's no way to get out. And because 
our schools are funded on property taxes, uh, then therefore, if you live in a lower value neighborhood, your schools are going to be less good. And so the cycle continues. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's a way that white supremacy has been able to perpetuate uh, segregation even post Civil Rights Act. And, um, you know, this this movie made that point pretty uh, well, both implicitly and explicitly. Um, but, you know, the fact that, you know, nice white couple uh, who has a black friend and, you know, obviously are like trying to be good people. Uh, they're educated um, and, you know, obviously care about what's happening in this housing project. But still, you know, uh, they won the, uh, you know, they won the lottery when it came to, you know, being able to live in the the nicer place and in the in the nicer apartments. So, um, yeah, I really picked up on that, and I'm really really glad that um, they're laying into a lot of that in this remake. Yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome. It's one of the things I'm most excited about actually for it. So, yeah, and it was really neat to again to watch it with. I, I really get a lot of value of watching it with, with all of you because, again, I I think even if I had watched it again, I would have picked up on it, but I don't know that I would have. It's like once you notice it, you follow it through the whole movie. Like, oh, what an interesting, like, microaggression there or, you know, historical point there or, or those kinds of things. So um, I, I you're right. I mean, I, to, to both of your points, I think it was – it's really pronounced for a traditional Hollywood movie, right? They, they don't hit you over the head, but, but man, they want you to notice it throughout. Like, mm -hmm. like that, like you said, that whole first hour is really just a history lesson um, for this neighborhood. Um, and I thought that was so neat that, that really, again, that I, I was, I was more horrified by like you, the, the redlining and the things that had happened to this neighborhood than, um, you know, this this urban legend, so to speak. So. Well, and we have to talk about uh, Candyman's origin, too. Right, right. And yeah. which we can thank Tony Todd for. Um, the, the writer and director of this movie, uh, Bernard Rose, is British, and he based this off of a Clive Barker story, which was originally set in Liverpool, and was about, you know, class and race, but it's a, you know, a very different context if you're talking about classism in Liverpool in the 1960s versus, uh, you know, racism in Chicago. So um, Tony Todd uh, in, in working in the pre-production this movie said, this guy needs an origin. And he pitched this story to them. He said, this is who this character should be. And um, that, you know, he should be a, a former slave who, or no, no, no. His father was a slave um, who had made a lot of money. He'd been well-educated. Uh, he moved to Chicago, fell in love with a white girl. And, um, you know, and then they murdered him for it. Uh and and he's this um 
he's this like romantic force. He's he's more like Dracula or the Phantom of the Opera than you know uh, than Jason or Michael Myers, and and that's what you know. I didn't notice that before. Is um, you know I'm like oh it's just you know it's another kind of take on the slasher genre. And I'm like. It kind of is a slasher, but it kind of isn't. It's very different. He like he wants Helen to believe in him and to fall in love with him and to want to be murdered by him. Right. (laughs) That's like his motivation. And I think that's so much more interesting than, oh, super being Michael Myers, Jason, they're a force of nature. They can't be killed. They're just going to murder teenagers for having sex ha 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 so like it, there's there's another layer <laughs> that on was that. my favorite summary of every horror movie from like 1984 <laughs> to 1991 ha, ha, ha. <laughs> no, this is, uh, watch beautiful people be murdered for having yeah. sex i ha, mean ha, that's ha. that's the slasher <laughs> show i know yeah. but the ha, ha, ha is what did it for me it's really interesting because I was first introduced to the story of Candyman as folklore from the South by my uncle when I was a kid. Huh. And I don't know if it was because he had seen the movie and retold it differently, remembered it differently. I don't know. But he would, like, he told us the story when we were visiting my grandmother's house in the early 90s. Um, she lived right next to BYU. It's where I eventually moved into later. But he like my cousins were like crying because my uncle was so terrifying he told us the story in the basement and they were like crying and we all got in trouble for telling ghost stories and these different things so when i finally saw the movie i had had this like idea of what Candyman was in my head going into it and growing up in the south and hearing that it was a story from the south even though it's not accurate like that's just how it was introduced to me um I had I'd grown up with an awareness of we've talked about this before of just the discrepancy of how my neighborhood was versus other neighborhoods and other kids like and it, and it always bothered me it was always something that um, I wanted to understand more and I don't like slasher fix like like Jason and Halloween and those things I don't really get into those types of horror movies but this immediately became one of my favorites because of that slow burn, because of the way that it introduces it. And it's got that sort of vampire feel to it of you're yeah. going to fall in love with me. And that's just like really sultry and sexy and something I'm prone to anyways. So I loved this movie, but it also, you know, at the same time, there is a lot of genocide going on in uh, Eastern Africa and a lot of things that I was tuned into and so the storyline of it stuck out to me in a way that I didn't have words for. I didn't know the word redlining when I first watched it. I didn't have terminology for it but I really appreciated what they seemed to very intentionally do and create through the story and the way that it played out and so that's I mean all of the reasons that you guys are talking about it is why it became one of my favorites and it's just they just do such a good job with it. Like when Blair Witch Project came out and they did that, all those weird 
cinematography things with it and made it look like the kids were recording it themselves i was like oh this was kind of the feeling i got when i watched Candyman the first time (laughs) it's so it's done in this way that feels really personal and like you're there in it with them and it's terrifying for a lot of reasons but mostly the ones that you guys have pointed out yeah yeah i that's a i mean what a I would have loved that introduction to this film because, again, I, I love that book because I, 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 I feel like I missed 25 years of this movie, right? Not having the context when I first watched it. Um, and, and I probably would have enjoyed watching it for a couple of decades before right now, you know, um, with a lot of that. So that's really cool that you had that. That's really neat. And I do think that the new one that they're coming out with is going to be like downright absolutely fucking terrifying. I, yeah, hope, I, so. I hope it is. Yeah. I'm excited for it, and not. And I hope they don't turn it into a slasher flick, which I don't think is going to happen. But no, I I think they'll I'm learn so the mistakes from the second and third ones. I would guess. <laughs> I and Jordan Peele, which we'll get, which we'll get to next week. Yeah, not the same movie. Um, but but um, JB, I wanted to pick up on a point you said you would have, like, if you'd known some of the context, you, you would have seen the movie differently. I, you know, when I watched this, I didn't know Cabrini Green was a real thing. Right. A real place. Yeah. But also, remember Ruthie Ann, uh, the, the murder yes. they were talking about? She was real. That was a real murder. Right. Yes. That was a real murder. And get this. This is what's terrifying. And, and th- this should up the creep factor of this movie, like, a lot for a lot of people, I think. Um, she was murdered in her own apartment in Cabrini Green. The, the murderers got in through the medicine cabinet because there were spaces between the apartments, a tiny little, almost like a crawl hole. And they could they robbed several apartments. And she just happened to be home when they went into hers. But they got in through the medicine cabinet, which is something that is mentioned quite a bit in the movie. Right. And the thought of that, like you just being exposed like that and not even knowing it is... Ugh pretty terrifying you know like i bet nobody knew nobody else but those those murderers knew that they could get in that way do you understand like it's i mean that is creepy as hell and and it just you know it makes me think like uh you know i was like where's my medicine cabinet if oh yeah it faces an alley you know (laughs) so i know what's covered because you know it's it's it, there's no I'm not connected to any other apartment you know what I mean so I, I'm okay but if I if I lived like in an apartment complex I would not have slept last night probably oh, for sure. you know what I mean like that's just and I don't scare easily but there's just a creep factor to this movie and and the amount of tension in this movie that we didn't need the jump scares we didn't need the gore it it just this, this movie is masterful at the tension and at putting notions in your head, which is really what this whole movie is about. The notions in Helen's head, really. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it's just creepy. It gets under your skin, you know, or your flesh, I guess, is the word for this movie. It's I mean, it, it, it's amazing. But knowing that Ruthie Ann was real and that it, it was through the medicine cabinet, it just, oh, man, just Ugh. crazy. Yeah. And yeah. And- and that I think is that's kind of the point. And that again, something I missed when I was when I was younger. That whole facet of him saying, "Everybody, you know, you've made people doubt 
and now I have to, you know, shed innocent blood to regain my power. It's such an interesting component, right, of that horror genre where you, the fear gives someone the power um, as as a bad character, right? And and again, I hadn't, I that was brand new to me that I hadn't seen before. So I, all those little factors really, to, like you said, Melissa, just creep you out at the end of watching all of this. And one of the things that, that I picked up on here in all of those little creep factor things is I kept getting reminded through this. I'm like, Oh, this is a lot like hereditary. And I'm like, no hereditary kind of ripped this off is what, is what it did. And it's part of why hereditary was so effective. Um, I mean, it was effective for a lot of other reasons and hereditary is a very, very different movie than Candyman. but there are like little pieces that, that I definitely feel like Ari Aster picked up on. And, uh, I think just the, the psychological parts of it, the paranoia, the, you know the the idea that there's like this kind of cult or something out there that's you know doing weird things and um you know the the funeral scene at the end um definitely reminded me of the funeral scene at the beginning of hereditary where they're like oh uh grandma had a lot of friends we didn't know about uh, and it's like, yep, because they're in a creepy cult. Uh, spoiler alert for Hereditary. Sorry. Um, but yeah, no, it, I I just, this was so effective in, for all of those reasons. And so that brings me to a kind of a weird question. Is Helen actually the murderer here? Is she responsible? Did Candyman actually kill anybody? Or is this all just Helen going crazy? Well, and even to that point, because after Helen is dead, someone still gets murdered, right? Right. So who does all the, I mean, who does each of these murders? And that was the question I had is, it's such a fascinating, you know, like in general, you can pretty much tell halfway through the movie who's what, right? But this one, it is, it's that, psychological bend of who really does all of this i mean i really like it i think it's i think well, it's a cool yeah. well and how do you assign responsibility right like is she responsible like to your point jb where he's talking about how the my strength and power is in my fear and people's right. fear of me it's I I watched this around the same time that I watched The Mission for the first time, mm -hmm. which, which is a completely different movie than this. But very this different idea movie. Very. <laughs> no, but I made a correlation between like the the patron saintly white woman coming in and trying to solve the problems that aren't hers, that aren't her place, but like wanting to come in. Is she making things worse? by stirring it up, by causing doubt, by, and so is she responsible for the deaths if she commits them or not? And, and what, like, like that part of it really stood out to me of who the fuck are we to interfere 
And then again, who are we not to if we see things that aren't correct? Like where, where are we responsible as humans in this? And how do we, like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Like how, how do we know if we are creating more problems or actually being helpful or shirking responsibility somewhere? And so I think that she is ultimately responsible to one sense or another, but I don't know if she's physically committing though. She's actually gone crazy or I, I like that the mystery is never solved because it keeps the psychological fuckery going on and it makes it more powerful to me, but it brought up a lot of questions for me when I watched it. I mean, and, and we talked a little bit about just the pure physical nature of how yeah. the murders happened. Could, could someone like how much strength would you have to have to, do the murders that way right and that that was a, a facet i hadn't really considered until going well if she did them i mean how much strength do you have to have to take a hook up through someone's whole body um i don't know right like i and i hope i never know <laughs> to that point <laughs> but um yeah i i mean there's some physical components that make it difficult to determine if it could have just been her or even oh what the heck is the grad student's name sharon um shelly something like that if it's yeah um, shout out to to shelly for being a memorable character other than how you prepare a meat dish which we'll talk about shortly um i i you know i don't give that same problem like who is the legend responsible, like you said, Brooke, for the murders, or are these people actually physically capable of doing it? Is it Stacy? Oh, it's Stacy. Okay. Or is it just a good old fashioned like possession? Or is he like actually just this real force possessing them to do it? And so their strength doesn't matter because they've been taken over. That's what I always yeah. say about. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know. Maybe, I don't know. But I, I do know if you're going to take a hook and impale someone in the back and like tear it up there in the entire side of their spine, like she supposedly did to that psychiatrist, that's, that is, that takes some strength. That's a, that's another level. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a, you know. it's a lot different from this skirt stakes underdone to I'm going to take this psychiatrist to a whole nother level, right? That's yeah. a, a whole different ballgame. Um, I don't, I guess, you know, and, and Andy, I don't know what the movie wants us to think. Um, like, that's the other cool thing. By the end, you you don't have a sense for who, right? Because the, I think the movie intentionally doesn't want you to know. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. To leave the fear in it and the question and the unknowing to give it its true strength. Yeah. And I think I, I think it's a you know that 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 Helen and Candyman are joined somehow cosmically, and this was all sort of fated to be. And um, you know it, you know she she said the she said his name five times, and I don't know maybe, maybe it would have been someone else, but uh, probably it was just supposed to be her. I don't know. Do y'all buy into the theory that she's the reincarnation of his lover? Well, that's maybe. And, and that's what the future movies kind of get into, right? If I remember correctly, they they talk a lot about that. 
eternal link. Um, so I think that's a really good point, Melissa. I, I wonder if that's part of the message. Well, not the message, but what they're going for. So I kind of felt that way, Melissa, when I watched it. But I felt like it was like they both knew that she wasn't. But that she wasn't like a direct descendant, but had some sort of like energetic tie. And she was now the stand-in. Like he is going to find someone to be his lover or to represent her in some way, but not the direct person is what I always thought. Well, yeah, she she lived in an apartment that's just like Cabrini Green and she said his name five times. So now she's marked and she's going to be, you know, that that's that's how it happens. No, I mean, I'm but I'm but, joking, but well, yeah, no, but it's a good point. And but it's but, interesting to me that she said his name, but he didn't show up until she cast doubt in the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was, that's an interesting part. And I still, I mean, I haven't really fleshed that out very much, but I thought that was really interesting. So it's not that you call his name so much as you, you talk shit on him, right? <laughs> Which mm -hmm. I guess would make any bad character pissed off and to come get you, right? Like, oh, you're not so tough. I said your name and you're not even in this mirror. Um, that's, I think, what got him more than anything. I'll show you. Yeah. And and also, I mean, I think it's it's as much the like the slow seduction more than anything else. And it's like, hey, I'm going to I'm I'm going to get you to say that you want me to take you. And that's what um that's what we have to do. And so I'm going to uh, kidnap a baby and then you're, you know, I'll release him when, when you say that you want, you want me to take you instead. Apparently, a month from now, a, a month from now, you know, on bee juice and hook blood or something. We don't, we didn't really get into that, did we? Yeah, she's in the, she's in the mental institution for several weeks. They say, and it's like, oh, baby's still missing. Uh, like, what? What is going on that like missing baby in the projects is like, eh, so what? Can't do anything about it. But it's like, oh, white lady going crazy, murdering other white people. Like we can't have that. So, well, and that then I I that was another interesting point that they raised in the movie. Right? She gets attacked. All of a sudden, everything shut down. Right. But mm -hmm. right. all the other murders didn't even matter. So again, another sociocultural note of we're not doing this right. Yeah, you know? I'll, so, I'll tell you what, though, as far as like pissing off the bad guy, when Prudence's dad and I first met, his his mother had passed away several months before he and I met each other. And he and his brother started going through all of her clothes and all of her possessions and stuff and brought them over to his house. And he called me one day. I was out with my friends. We we're going to go out later that night. He's like, hey, what size clothes do you wear? What size shoe do you have? And I was like, that was a really weird question. And I told him, and he's like, well, I've got all this stuff from my mom from when she died. And I was wondering, like, it's really nice clothes. Would you want it? And I, like, froze. And I didn't know what to say because I was like, no, I don't. Uh... And I was like, okay. And so he no, I this. will not wear your dead mother's clothes, is what you're saying. The, the pause so, part is what's getting me. Well, 
well, because I didn't want to be rude to him, but my initial reaction sure. was like, what the fuck? And so he's probably going to listen to this. He does listen to all my podcasts, so I'm sorry. I love, I love you. You're a good man. Um, so he brought them all over to my house, and he dropped them off. And then later that night, we were talking on the phone, and I had a CD playing on my laptop, because this was many, many years ago. And the minute I picked up the phone and said his name, the CD stopped playing without me touching it. And then I hung up the phone and it started playing again. But I didn't realize that it happened until I hung up the phone. And then later that night, I'll make this super short. We get home. He'd been a dink all night long. And like my friends were frustrated with him. And anyways, I said his name for the first time as soon as we got home. And my laptop, which was unplugged and not connected to any energy source at all, started playing the CD at full blast with a siren sound over the top of it going and like the music starts blaring through the house the dogs go crazy and are barking and all of my friends turn and look at my bedroom door and they're like you pissed off dead mom and I was like shit what the fuck is happening right now and everyone is freaking out and I walk into my bedroom and I like look at the laptop I make sure it's not plugged in and I look at the pile of clothes and my dog is on my bed just growling at the corner where all of her clothes are so like I go in there and I close the door and I'm like I'm sorry Carol I didn't mean to talk badly about your son I promise I'll try to like I made this like amend to her and as soon as I got done talking my dog laid down went to sleep nothing weird ever happened again and the bad energy was gone so I think you can piss off of of that energy and it's gonna come at you that's all I'm gonna say I love that story that's a great story but also <laughs> no, do not wear the dead mother's yeah, clothes. It didn't help that you were you were out in her jeans, right? That was the worst part. Well, <laughs> you know, I looked at the clothes and I was like, just so you know, I'll only keep the things that I'll wear and I promise to pass everything off to good people who will use them and love them. And really the only thing I kept was a purse of hers and a little metal bracelet that she had worn or gold bracelet she had worn as a kid. And I kept both of them and gave them to Prudence. So I never oh, wore the clothes. Nice. Yeah, nice. it all ended up really nicely. But if anyone's listening, just say no from the yeah. very beginning. That's a good ghost story. I'm glad we have ghost story. Melissa, do you have any go- good ghost stories you want to share while we're here? Um, no? Well, uh, the ghost of one of my uncles saved my mom's life one time. Um, because oh. she was driving home late at night. And, you know, late at night, unfortunately, is when you get more drunks on the road and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. She was at a red light and she, you know, waiting to turn left. And turning left is a little precarious because, you know, sometimes people, if they blow through a red light, you could get hit, right? And that almost happened. A drunk guy blew through a red light and all of a sudden, my, you know, my mom is starting to go through the intersection and my uncle Julio he she sees him in front of the car and she breaks really fast because he he holds out his hand like stop and then just zoom the the drunk guy going through the red light just went right past her like like two inches from her bumper so if she hadn't stopped if she hadn't seen him you know like she he would have t-boned her like really hard you know i mean god knows what would have happened and so yeah, just like that's not like a, a like a haunted type of. That's story, amazing. Right? Like that's a good story. That's a great yeah. ghost story, though. Yeah, it's it's 
you know i like it crazy yeah we need to we need to be a, a spooky podcast instead of a movie podcast. This is the, this tell is the spooky after stories. hours. This is the OnlyFans version, after right? Dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Helen. 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 Check out these bitchin' loafers. He did have some great fashion. Oh my gosh, his costume was so good. Oh, it's horrific. That's the best. I mean, costume. straight up, he's really good looking. He really like, is. Yeah. I would have I would have let him kill me. The, However he, he wanted. The legit him working with the bees and like writing in his contract to get extra money for each bee, like any sting that he got. I mean, that's crap. $1,000 a bee sting. That's, that's dedication to your art to put 25 bees in your mouth. Yep. Even, even though they're trained bees, which I don't even get me started on how you do that. How the hell do you do that? Well, yeah. they're okay. They're 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 specially bred and they were very young bees so like they not all of them had their like stingers in or the idea would be that they would be more docile um so and he like in his mouth he had like a special prosthesis like imagine basically they put like a giant plastic thing all around your mouth and then fill it with bees but still that's still got... a level of dedication that i don't yeah. think anyone else would have had yeah no seriously and only the only mr burns's dogs that had the bees in their mouth that barked <laughs> the... when they <laughs> spit bees, when, bees they when they bark yeah <laughs> that's the yes. only other one <laughs> and the robotic richard simmons okay. <laughs> yeah that's way i you got me i can't um there, there's no way i mean it's awesome it's that's so really it, cool. he he was so great for this role and we we already talked about how he you know brought in some of his own creative ideas and he's he's also the one that said that this guy shouldn't just be like an avenging spirit that he should be more of a romantic he should be more like a a Dracula or Phantom of the Opera, and that should be his M.O. Um, you know, like, Tony Todd didn't get a screenwriting credit here, but, like... Maybe he should have. Or a story kinda, credit. Yeah, or something. Yeah. But he, like, really helped create this character and made it as iconic. Because if it had just been just another murder guy who has bees, then it's like, okay, that's that's something. And you know what's really wonderful about that aspect of it that he brought to it is that in, in making him more of a romantic character, two things kind of happened that were really awesome um, that I think really added to the movie. One is that it, it, it became even more social commentary because it played upon that fear that people have of a black man and a white woman together, you know? Very um, much. Mm -hmm. right. and, and so that, that was definitely, that permeated the entire movie. Uh, but what I also found interesting is that they made him a romantic figure, but then it sort of turned, in my mind at least, and I don't know if y'all will agree with me, that this, but it should be interesting to talk about. It turned into almost a feminist movie because he wanted her to be with him, like by his side, like they could do this together. That's what I, the impression I got, but she just took over, like she completely eclipsed him. 
And I don't think that was his original intention. You know what I'm saying? Like he did not, because I don't think he wanted to disappear. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? Um, So by, and I think that's because of the romantic figure part. Like if he was more ruthless with her, that never would have happened. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Like the, he he really was in love with this concept of her so much so that he's willing to then step back and have her in the spotlight. So, or I mean, I don't know if we should read that much into no, it. No, I but think I think she took it from him. She I took it from him. Yeah, okay. I don't think, I think so too. It at all. Okay. Yeah, he he definitely seemed surprised when she left him in the burning pyre at the end to save the kid. He was not expecting that so well and i love that take on it melissa because it's like what was she left with and how like as women how can't we fight back and sometimes you have to get really fucking out of the box to figure out how to make a statement or be outside of what his desires would have been and to to take any sort of fight back and that's how I kind of saw it I don't know if that's where you were going with it or not I I took it as as her repression coming out he brought out all the repressed feelings she had because she she knew deep down in her heart her husband was cheating you know I I think she knew for sure and you know she but I, I the impression I got and I'm interested to see if y'all got the same thing was that, you know, she's a grad student, right? So she probably doesn't have any income. So she's tethered to him financially to, to get through college. You know what I'm saying? Like, like his grad school is not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and if she spends all her time out in the field researching, you know, uh, going to Cabrini Green or going to the, the library to look at old newspapers and shit. I mean, what she doesn't work, right? She clearly doesn't have a job. Her job is her thesis at this point. So she probably knows he's cheating. And she can't leave him, though. Like so many women, she has no recourse. She has no resources. She has nowhere to go. You know, she has no no choice unless she, I mean, what is she going to do? Be homeless? You know what I mean? She's going to move into Cabrini Green? Uh, I mean, she's she has to stay with him despite this. So there's got to be some kind of pent up something and i think that Candyman brings that out in her and when she murders it's that all of that coming out do you understand like all of that repression i love that everything yeah. it's it's manifesting itself through these murders and and that you know that's what gives her the strength once she starts letting go she can't be stopped and that's why she takes over. That's why she's the new Candyman. Or, well, it's implied that that's what she is at the end. Well, I hope she killed that asshole Professor Purcell. Because that guy was the worst. And yeah. I wanted him to die. Foreshadowing so for next week's podcast. <laughs> what will happen to Professor Purcell? Coming is, is he is he in the next one? I haven't seen any. Of I the haven't sequels. seen any of the sequels either. They cut it off and found it floating in a toilet. Yeah, he doesn't. Can't he fix doesn't that. It, just wow. so you know. Yeah. <laughs> he gets he gets his comeuppance um, for his awesome. terrible laugh. Yeah. Good, because fuck that guy. Seriously. And then and then they sing a, a medley, a joyful noise. 
I think I'm gonna be sick next week. I can't. I get get my terrible uh, last movies mixed up. My. um, I mean, I'm glad we're combining those two into one episode. That would be yeah. You're you're gonna be thankful if you hadn't seen, um, the third one especially. Oh dear lord. Um, All right. Interesting. Uh. Any anything else about this? Oh, okay. I, I I I forgot to mention when we were talking about the bees that the bee handler for this, the apiarist, uh, was the same bee handler who worked on my girl. Um, I just what? like to say, for um, real? you 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 kind of messed up that other movie. Yeah, you fuck killed that guy. Macaulay Culkin. Fuck that guy. I hope Candyman came and got him somewhere. What a yeah. dick. Yeah, how dare you? You let the bees kill Macaulay Culkin? I'm still not what over that. Wrong with you? An entire generation of children with that. He needs his glasses to see. He needs his glasses. Wow. What a dick. Alright. Um, oh, and, and shout out to Ted Raimi who played Billy the biker at the beginning of the movie. Poor Billy, never got his boobies. <laughs> Sam Raimi's uh, little brother, Ted. Um, With no glasses, which was super weird. Yeah, no glasses, because he's... Uh, Melissa, you surely have seen, like, every show that Ted Raimi's in, right? No. Like, oh, really? I thought... I would have <laughs> thought you would have been way big on like oh, no. he's he's up there in the pantheon with like uh david spade and, and uh that late night guy on nbc oh yeah oh okay you hate him they creep me out i don't i cannot explain why no 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 <laughs> i mean he is kind of a creepster he looks no. creepy but he know what he looks like 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 um oh what's his, what's his name um you know the the Little boy from Third Rock from the Sun, or the the young guy Joey Gordon Levitt. Yes, he looks like a demented version of him. Like, oh, nice. Oh, yeah. He looks, yeah, like like if Joseph Gordon Levitt was like inbred a little. <laughs> he was from, like... from Utah. <laughs> <laughs> third third wife Gordon Levitt. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> Something like that. And I think that's what creeps me out the most. Just that he, he looks like someone who I think of as, you know, more wholesome and who doesn't creep me out. It's creepy. I don't know. I can't say. I cannot tell you why. Other than that. Yeah. Okay. No, totally, totally, uh, totally valid opinion. Suck on that, Ted Raimi. <laughs> yeah, Ted Raimi with all of your minor cameo roles in your brother's films and TV yeah. projects. Maybe you go find as, some bees. And maybe if you worked Zena as hard as and... Xander Berkeley, you wouldn't have this problem. Gosh. <laughs> has, has Xander <laughs> Berkeley been in everything? He's he has the, been in everything. He's the Dwayne Johnson of the 1990s. The last thing I saw him in was The Walking Dead. I haven't watched that show in a couple of years, but... Uh, he was in there for a couple of seasons in a recurring role and that's why I said like when we were watching it last night together in the chat I was like does Xander Berkeley just like look middle aged in all his movies because it's been almost 30 years 
since Candyman, which is unbelievable to me. But he doesn't look like he's aged all that much from what I saw in The Walking Dead like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, he just always kind of looked like a dowdy middle-aged dude, you know what I mean? Like he just plays it so well. And you got to wonder if he's like really just a nice guy in person, you know what I mean? Just like because he plays bad so well. It, it just, but but like that bad that you don't always suspect. But because he's Xander Berkeley, I always suspect him when I see him in anything now. Uh, but yeah, he's, ugh, yeah, he doesn't creep me out, but, but his characters are always some level of creep, always. Very often, yes. Um, another, uh, I'm, this is now my (laughs) weekly plug for Supergirl. He is in the single best episode of Supergirl in season five called Man of Steel, and it is so great. Uh, he plays a retired steel worker whose son uh, is a history professor who basically goes from being uh, a, a guy who sort of idolizes the founding fathers and capitalism and kind of center right wing American thought to like a full blown uh, alt-right um, paramilitary guy. And it's... Uh, uh, it's pretty crazy, and it's all because of his dad, who is, uh, um, yeah, Xander Berkeley, and very racist. Um, but he's great in that episode. Uh, everybody's great in that episode. Um, yeah. Any anybody else from the from the cast or anything else we we want to shout out in this movie? I I know she was murdered, but Cassie Lemons like. I really thought in the 90s that she was gonna like blow up really big and she ended up doing a lot of like directing work um and she's somebody who has really like fought the system because black women in Hollywood I mean let's face it you know not exactly a a vaulted class here I mean they they have to work really hard for everything and um she was directing oh crap what is that movie um about the little girl and the ghost in the south i forget i i think it i think it was that one i i need to look it up i should have taken notes because i um i remember reading about this in the 90s she was pregnant right while they were doing this film she was directing the film she wasn't actually in it i don't think um and and they didn't want to let her finish directing the film they wanted her to see the film the director chair to someone else because she's pregnant because hollywood has a big problem uh eve's bayou that's what it's Bayou. yeah i was gonna ask um so uh yeah she was pregnant and they didn't want to let her and she kept fighting them she's like look you know i understand if it's in front of the camera you know because you gotta hide thing you know it's obvious when a woman is pregnant and not supposed to be in the show or a movie because they they, she has big ass purses and you know always carrying something you know uh to hide her 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 baby but like she's directing you know and they treated her like she wouldn't be able to do it because i think hollywood executives still think like like 
if a woman's on her period, she's going to be angry all the time. So, you know, they have these stupid notions from childhood that they never get rid of. And apparently a pregnant woman can't direct a movie. Well, she ended up still directing the movie, but she had to fight really hard. And I remembered this when I saw her on screen last night. I just remembered that article reading it and thinking, damn, that's, you know, she's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, like, and she's directed several more uh, movies and she even directed an episode of Luke Cage, yep. uh, which was a great show. Um, and, and the most recent was Harriet. Uh, Harriet. Yeah. With Cynthia uh, Erivo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's, she may not be like a household name. Like I thought she might be. Cause she was like in this, she was in the silence of the lambs. I mean, she was in some really great, like early nineties movies um, as, as an actress. But I, I think maybe she's done more. I mean, she's done more acting, but she's made more of an impact. I think maybe as a director um, and proving that black women can direct, big studio movies, you know, things that actually matter. Yeah. Um, so I just want to shout her out because I just think she's awesome. Indeed. Yeah. Um, that I didn't know that story about Eve's Bayou and also had missed that she not only directed that, but wrote it too. So the fact that they wanted her to turn that over because she was pregnant Yikes. Yeah, that's really, really fucked. Yeah. But even really. today, like, they don't want to hire you if you're pregnant. And, and from what I understand, like, um, they'll even ask, do you plan to get pregnant? You know, which they're not, they, they can't ask you if you're pregnant legally, you know? Um, and they're not, but I guess technically, I don't know if it's against a lot to ask if you plan to get pregnant. I would imagine it is, but who knows what kind of weird you know, loophole you could find for that. But they, they regularly ask young women, especially if they're in front of the camera, do you plan to get pregnant? Or especially if they're like a newlywed. Yeah. You just don't want to hire you. You know, that that's like one of the biggest fears of the Hollywood executives is that the woman's going to get pregnant and ruin your production. You know what I mean? Like, God forbid, you know? And um, so that, you know, that that really pisses me off. You know, it's just discrimination. That's all it is. It totally is. It 100% is. And like Charisma Carpenter talked about that in oh, yeah. uh, of oh, yeah. what happened Angel. To, yeah, with Angel, where, you know, and basically Joss Whedon told her, like, you screwed up my TV show because you decided you wanted to be pregnant. And she's like, it's, it's not your choice whether I get pregnant or not. And so he wrote her off the show. So, um, is absolutely terrible um yeah my understanding of the law is and i mean and this is only like in like a sort of office environment that like you can't take anyone's pregnancy into account of whether you assign them uh work or project or a promotion or anything else like that um and you can't ask them uh like hey do you want do you want us to like pull back your work or pull back your accounts or something um they have to request some sort of accommodation and then you can give it to them but you are not allowed to even like go up to them and say like hey you're pregnant so why don't we put you on bed rest for six months and you know sort of take you out of uh whatever so 
Uh, Yowza. That's crazy. Um, all right. Candyman, any any final thoughts before I start talking about the box office here? Oh, I didn't talk. Okay. You didn't, didn't talk ask, about the meat. First I didn't of ask all. my meat question. Yeah, we gotta get, a, get to the meat of this conversation. What what the heck was Stacy preparing at the end there? What what was this? She pulls this like big flat piece of beef out of the fridge where it's sitting on some sort of paper or styrofoam plate, and then she just starts like kind of cutting it up willy-nilly it's like this isn't like a chuck roast where you need to like trim some of the fat off this isn't a brisket you're not like pulling silver skin off the tenderloin or anything this is just like a big flat i don't know looks like maybe skirt steak or or something what if... but yeah i don't I know i thought it was a big giant piece of foreshadowing That's i mean what if stacy was Candyman's real lover. Even worse. And it was, it was her what if all it was, along. What if it was Stacy's mom? She's got it going on. She's got it going on. But what right. if Stacy was behind all of it to begin with? It was Stacy all along. I don't know. She, <laughs> she seemed to be pretty scared of that telephone. I don't know. She's yeah. And her taste in color is pretty horrible. <laughs> her taste in color oh, is terrible. God. And her decor. I mean, a giant oh. gold paper clip on the wall. That is still my favorite thing that I missed that I had to go back and look at. The paper <laughs> clip. I did not even see that. What the paper. hell? <laughs> I feel like subconsciously that really affected my decor like choices as I grew up. Because I've like... seen other... I liked it. You put Pepto Bismol color on the wall? No, not Pepto Bismol, but okay. <laughs> pink is okay. I'm down with pink, but like, not that pink. Yeah. That That's the wrong carnation pink there. That's the wrong, the wrong shade right there. So I think, um, uh, I think, you know, having been through through master's degrees, I don't think the menu, the cooking classes are very good right so i'm guessing she was uh, young and, and they didn't have youtube back then so i mean you you probably got like a martha stewart cookbook and i mean those aren't very expressive i guess there that's wasn't even true. martha stewart back then she was just yeah. young and like trying to step up to be a woman for this man mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so i don't know what she was doing i don't know I, I was just like, it was just very obvious that they were like stage directions. Here's a big piece of beef. I don't know, like cut off chunks of it and throw them over there. <laughs> and like, that was it. And it's like, okay, what is she cooking? I don't know. <laughs> kind of doesn't matter, but it was. It was really funny though. But but that's, that's my problem is I demand verisimilitude in my films when it comes to to the preparation of food. Like if they're going to actually start preparing some piece of beef or something, I want to see you butcher that piece right or I'm going to get mad at you because that's just how dare you. 
Yeah. How dare you? That's fair. So, that is a zero fair... stars. Yeah. No. I mean, that's the only flaw in this film. It's really the cooking. And and the and the paperclip. Although you it, could argue the paperclip is uh, creepy and gross. It, the set design was so great. Like everything about oh the set design was great until gold paperclip. And that's the recency effect. And now we're going to judge this movie purely based on not going to restoration hardware for your sconces. Right? <laughs> But all of all of like Candyman's lair and like all of the graffiti art and that giant mural and where Virginia Madsen is like crawling out of his mouth. Yeah. And all the candies are there with the razor blades in them. That's just It's great. So good. Oh so can good. we can we talk about one of those things, the sweets for my sweet part? the hamlet yeah. yes yeah okay so th this script is so freaking good because it that it that is from hamlet um but it what it is in case y'all haven't read it um who are listening um so ophelia who is hamlet's girlfriend killed herself right is uh, you know spoiler alert for a 400 year old play um but like uh she kills herself because basically he's really terrible to her and tells her she should go be a nun and, and whatever. And um, so when at her funeral, Hamlet's mom is like sweets for my sweets. And she's referring to like the flowers you put on the grave and stuff. And then she says farewell. Now it didn't say farewell on the wall, did it? It just said sweets for my sweet. And, and so I feel like this kind of, might play into the theory that she's the reincarnation of his lover because you know it doesn't say farewell because they they're not saying goodbye exactly you know she's there and and he's there or his spirit or his memory whatever you want to call it um you know it 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 implies a death because you were talking about the sweets are not chocolate it literally or something it's the flower funeral flowers but the fact that they don't say farewell I don't know. I might be reading too much into this, but it sort of made me feel like that's because the connection was never really dead. Do you understand? Am I making? Yeah. No, I like yeah, it. I sure. like that yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, that's so good. Because I, I got the hand. I'm like, oh, that's a Shakespeare reference, but I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way. That's that's even more beautiful. That is really. That is yeah. Really cool. oh, that's great. Wow. Uh, how this was a great movie yes yeah, so so even, even better i'm so glad that everyone loved it, it i just have awesome. to say i'm yeah. so glad yeah i mean even better movie. because like i said y'all picked up stuff that i would not have just on watching it so this this was awesome every i think everybody got totally different stuff yeah um, and everybody's seen ghosts which is also a super cool add to this um yeah, so this was this was great. I recently rewatched Dark City. Oh, great film! Oh yeah, it does not hold up. Oh, I still liked it. Did have you watched it recently? Like a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. But I was mostly watching Rufus Sewell's Second Eye. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good point. Yeah, it it just didn't hold up as well, and so I was afraid going into this that it might be garbage, and I'm so glad that it wasn't. Tony Todd will never let you down, Brooke. 
Yeah, yeah Tony Tony Todd is a a thing in himself. I think well, okay. I was about to say if the rest of this movie had been garbage, but like but Virginia Madsen is not going to be garbage. So no. But like he's so good though that even if everything else had been not as good, this still would have been interesting, which is I think what we're going to get in these two sequels. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. Like I've seen Tony oh, Todd the optimism of stuff, you. and he's still fun to watch. I I feel like I mean he I, he basically disavows the third one. So, oh good. Yeah. You then that's going to be really fun. <laughs> yeah. That I mean you're you're not going to miss much other than Purcell biting it. But spoiler alert. Oh. Oh well. Okay. I'm a little worried because the third one is called Day of the Dead, right? And I. I, I haven't seen it, but every time people bring up Day of the Dead, like, they get it wrong. You know, like, just last week I was watching this show, and this guy was implying that Day of the Dead, he wanted he wanted a haunted house. He wanted to buy a haunted house. Like, well, he says, one where I'm scared all night and during every day is Day of the Dead. And I'm like, you idiot. Day of the Dead is not scary. It's not, it's yeah. The celebration of life, of the, the life of the people who passed away. It's not supposed, okay, I know... The symbol widely associated with it is a sugar skull, right? Which we call Calaveras. Like, mm -hmm. but but it's about celebrating their life and the place that they had in your life, you know, and your appreciation for it. It's not scary at all. It's not supposed to be scary. And I'm fucking tired of people getting it wrong. Like, if you're going to bring it up as you know, somebody else's culture, look it up. You have a computer in your pocket, a tiny little computer. All of us have one, right? We have a smartphone look it up please people so i'm pretty sure they got it wrong i'm just gonna assume they got it wrong especially 20 years ago i was so disappointed that andy didn't come up with a pocket joke no uh well i was just thinking i i i think isn't the day of the dead one set in new orleans or is that farewell to flesh one of them's in new orleans and so i think we might get double double-barreled cultural misappropriation <laughs> yeah. where it's day of the dead and they're also trying to bring in like haiti and voodoo all i, yeah. all I know is i wish Candyman had been at the beginning of specter in new orleans because then we wouldn't have had to deal with the rest of that movie <laughs> and then and tony todd falls on the couch right next to james Bond. <laughs> is tony you know? todd in all three yeah Okay, well, that at that at least is good. You know, yeah, I hate it when they take away the boogeyman and start new, and it's worse somehow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Even even if Tony Todd, uh, Tony Todd will be in these, and so even if they're bad, we at least get a little bit of Tony Todd. But he's not in the new one, right? He is. He is. They couldn't get anybody else schedules to work, so. Tony Todd had 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 tweeted out, you know, congratulations to the new Candyman. I'm sure you're going to do great. Thanks for keeping the, you know, the legacy alive. And then everything didn't work. And I guess I, from what I remember, Jordan Peele called Tony Todd and said, do you have time? Tony Todd's like, 
I'm the candy man. Of course I have a problem, right? <laughs> so apparently he's, he's, he's back in the lead. I hear you've been looking for candy man, bitch. <laughs> I'll be at Brooks for a little while, but when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, now I, I, haven't, I haven't done too much looking into this, but I thought that uh, Abdul Yahamatin was they had, the new was, candy man. It was him, and then they had... Another, I can't remember the other actor's name, but I guess both of them didn't work out. So Tony Todd, they asked him to come back. Oh, yeah, I have, I have tickets to a sneak preview next week, and I was, I was like on the fence about going because, um, um, sorry, my. <laughs> My freezer just opened for no reason. Shut the fuck up! Oh no! Did you hear that? Or something? Yes. Yes. That, sound? that was my freezer. Something just fell out of my freezer. Shut the fuck up! Is it oh a giant gosh. piece of meat? Yes. If strip steak comes out of the fridge, just call it a night. No, it's my icebox. I don't have strip steak. <laughs> she keeps her meat cold. Wow. Uh, Sorry, y'all. That just scared the crap no, out of me. I don't get it. Most of Columbine would want to get out of the house. <laughs> We've said Candyman way too many times. Okay, I'm gonna excuse myself because I don't want all my shit to unfreeze. So I gotta go. Okay, okay, go, go do that, and I'll um, talk about. And Andy, we'll talk about uh, this next one. Um, I think he actually plays the. He's the adult. Uh, he plays the infant who was captured by Candyman. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, he plays Anthony. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then Tony Todd's back as Robitaille's Candyman. Okay. I, I, I've i only been, like, trying to watch the trailers because I don't want to know too much because I, I just want this movie to, like, wash over me and I don't want to go in with, like, expectations, like this has got to be this and this has got to be that because that's how you talk your way out of a good movie. Well, yeah, and if you get I haven't even tickets, watched the trailers. Yeah, and if you get advanced tickets, shit starts opening in your house, so you don't want to do that either. I was about to start complaining that I, I haven't gotten an invite to if there is an Austin screening, but... Um, no, I don't. What? I don't want. I don't want. Uh, you know, hauntings happening in my house. Uh, you know, I don't want Gozer hanging out in my icebox. <laughs> it might have been Gozer in my mind because I don't know what the hell caused that to happen, but it's very cooey is... over here now. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, so Melissa, you're thinking about whether you should go or not, though. Yeah, well, because, you know, I'm in Texas, and I think we've, I've mentioned that a few times in this podcast, um, and, uh, you know, the Delta variant, it's raging here worse than any, you know, almost any place else other than, like, us in Florida, Louisiana and Florida is the only other two places that it's almost as bad or just as bad, but, you know, because our stupid governor has an anti-mask mandate, and, um, you know, there's just a lot of dumbasses here, unfortunately. I mean, there's dumbasses everywhere. It's not just here, but it's yeah. gotten bad. And I, I am vaccinated, but, you know, there's a lot of breakthrough cases. And, um, you know, I worry about it. And mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know because I, I, I can't seem to find out, like, 
are they just gonna let us all in you know like like the full theater like they used to do before the pandemic or is there going to be social distancing and they only let a certain amount in i don't know how it's going to work and i don't want to sit shoulder to shoulder with strangers who don't have masks on you know what i mean um or, or it's shoulder to shoulder even with strangers who have masks on that's you know a little close for comfort so uh i'm probably not gonna go but i uh, now that i know tony todd is in it i so want to go even more i mean i really want to go um it's on the 24th i think um the screening i and they do have an austin screening i saw it but i just didn't get tickets for that because i don't live in austin well, yeah obviously <laughs> but uh so yeah i i um I, I, I'm really on the fence. I, if I know that they can social distance us, then I will probably go, but I don't it's know. Been, it's been weird because each studio seems to be doing something different. Mm. Paramount is like, um, first of all, they put all of the critics in one theater and everyone else in another theater. And like definitely social distancing everyone is like the the theater is only at like 30 40 percent capacity um and everyone is supposed to be wearing a mask and you have to check in with a like health check beforehand and like and like show up with it and it's not like you have to do a negative covid test but it's like uh are you feeling sick do you have any symptoms and you have to like at least say no i don't so um that's that's been interesting but it's been a weird like seeing the way that they've um handled preview screenings um studio to studio um most of them seem to be doing social distancing in theater um but maybe that's only here maybe and i haven't been to a universal one yet so i was hoping this would be the first one i haven't heard from them yet I gotta, I gotta get with our universal rep and be like, hey, yeah. I think you forgot about me during the pandemic. I'm still here. Don't you forget <laughs> about me. Here's, here's my podcast about Candyman. We're going to do more podcasts about Candyman. So Seriously. you definitely want me to see this. They, anyway. They, if they didn't learn something from this podcast, then they're doing themselves a disservice. So. <laughs> anyway. They learned that ghosts are absolutely fucking real. Yeah. <laughs> Between Brooks, Brooks mom jeans and Melissa's creepy freezer. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't have been making fun of chilled meat. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you should not dude, have. Dude, you if your meat have. gets if your meat gets haunted, do not tell us. Listen, <laughs> do not tell us if you get haunted meat. I'm gonna I'm gonna go fry it up right now and make sure <laughs> Screw you, skirt steak. You're not gonna I you're just not gonna came mess up, with me. I just came up with a studio note. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Brooke. I was just thinking about at the very okay. I know we've already gone past this already, but I'm going back to it for a minute. Go for it. When she's walking through the room before she's laid on the table, whatever, whatever, and she sees the words, it was always you, Helen. Like if we are making a huge jump here, which I know I'm this is a big stretch, but what if she is the reincarnated lover of like 
which it seems to all signs point to yes. Mm -hmm. And and she was also always the killer because it's kind of her fault he ends up dead. Mm -hmm. And saying that it was always her, she's just continuing like generation after generation to be reincarnated and being the one responsible for the actual death since he can't do them. But if it really is her who is always the killer. That sounds like you're trying to teach us critical race theory. How dare yeah. you? Yeah. No, no, we need to sign a waiver for this. I think. <laughs> no, I, I, th I, I think that's a that's a good take on it. And yeah, if this is about like intergenerational, not only has she trauma, always been the reincarnated lover, she's also always been the murderer, the responsible party. Yeah. Yep. And that's a good foreshadow to, I think, what they try to do more. And I think they're trying to do it in the new one, too, which is a lot of that, you know, how far back do souls go kind of thing. Because I think that's a cool part of this is, are we intertwined to certain individuals forever? Right? Right. And we can't do anything about it. And I think they, if, from what I remember, they do it fairly poorly in the sequels. But I think they're probably going to do a fine job of that in the new version. The faded Stark crossovers. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I know we had moved on. I just can't. No, that's great. No, no, because that's that's a point I think we could endlessly discuss. I think it is it's potentially the most interesting part of the movie. So I yeah, that's what I, I other like, than how did she get such a loud freaking camera? Holy <laughs> shit. No wonder Candyman came Candyman came back because of the noise. He's like, let's just kill her before this camera came. <laughs> I was eternally <laughs> resting, bitch. Seriously. <laughs> then you brought out Dante's whip camera. <laughs> with the Polaroids. It was pretty awesome. Nice. All right. All right. Any any other things, or shall we shall we talk about the box office? Let's do some box office. No, no, no. Wait. I wanted oh, wait, to wait. point oh, out, I, because I, this movie is so layered. You know, I feel like there's symbolism that you could watch it like ten times and barely pick up on something, even though you've seen it ten times. Like, but I wanted to talk just briefly about Virginia Madsen's look, how they made her look. Okay. Oh yeah. Like she looked like a 40s pinup she they dolled her up i mean she was gorgeous she was radiant she's just luminous right and there's that that one scene in the restaurant she's there with a cigarette i mean literally like a 40s pinup would have a cigarette right and they they lit her in a way where you mostly saw her eyes do y'all remember that scene in the restaurant yeah. when she's learning from that guy who yeah. ended at her funeral what was his name i forget Anyway, so I I just wonder, like, you know, because nobody else looked that way. Nobody else was lit so beautifully. And, like, just the makeup, the, the curls, everything. It was, it was, I don't know. It, it just, I was like, whoa. I mean, it, it, she just looked so beautiful all the time. And even as she was losing it, she still kind of looked... You know, as she deteriorated further and further, she still had that look about her, that luminosity. And I I have to wonder, like, why nobody else got that treatment. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like they obviously spent a lot of time making her look just so. And I, I have to wonder if there's some kind of like, because it was like a, she looked like a 40s pinup. If there's some kind of like innocence thing or something, you know, going on there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is in a lot of ways her movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's, she's in it more build. than Tony Todd is. She's even first billed in a you know, and Candyman gets second billing in a movie called Candyman. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I don't know. I mean, I I hadn't thought about that because I was just like, oh, it's because it's Virginia Madsen and she's magical. Um, so like I hadn't even noticed it and then you pointed it out and I'm like oh yeah that, especially that lighting in the restaurant where you mostly saw her eyes and there were shadows across the rest of her face mm -hmm. that's not on accident yeah. you know oh, what totally. I mean <laughs> totally that's like totally like 1940s noir mm -hmm. like she's the you know she's the, the dame coming in with the case or whatever yeah totally that's you, you're spot on um, but I think what it really points to is the giant crush you very obviously have on Virginia <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm glad we, we set aside some time for that because that was also my favorite part of the chat that we had when we were watching it was like how hot Virginia Madsen is <laughs> so that was also fun oh yeah and, and, you know, I saw her in something fairly recently I, I had no interest in watching this tv show i think it was called american gothic uh, it's like a one season show i think on cbs the only reason i stuck with it was because of her i mean seriously it was just an okay show it wasn't great um it's one of those shows that thinks it's far more clever than it actually is you know what i mean um oh yeah yeah and one of those and so i normally would not stick with those at all but because she was in it I watched the whole thing. I couldn't tell you what happened or how it was resolved. I'm not even sure I remember the central mystery. It was something about a murder. Uh, but uh, Virginia Madsen, I mean, she still got it. I don't think she's ever going to lose it, seriously. She, I'm, I'm uh, wondering, Andy, if your favorite Virginia Madsen role is Dune. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good one, right? I mean, I, I think that's... Uh... I think, I think that's it's sideways. Yeah, sideways oh, is one. pretty. Sideways is, I think. I liked her in the Rainmaker best. too, but I like, oh. I like the Rainmaker more than a lot of people did. I she's think. not in that movie very much. No, yeah. she's. I think just ten minutes or so. For me, sideways, it was that little speech she had about a glass of wine or a bottle of wine, and what mm -hmm. it represents. Like, I don't even like wine. Like, I drink red wine and it makes my mouth feel like the desert. I'm like, no, thank you. I, I'm apparently allergic to tannins or something. Uh, you know, but like, she made me want to drink a lot of red wine. Like, cotton mouth be damned, you know? Like, she's perfection. Wasn't yeah. she in. Do you remember? Okay, so there was Operation Dumbo Drop, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't she in the sequel? She was like the Congress person that. What was it? What was it? Was it Christmas Drop? What the hell? It was like a Netflix film, oh, right? Really? What? And she was like a she was like a congresswoman or something. I... She was congresswoman in that that show. What is it with Kiefer Sutherland? Designated oh, Survivor. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was 
there was some Netflix film called Christmas Drop, and it had Cat Graham in it. I'm trying to find this. Who's Andy's another CW Vampire Diaries kind of, right? Operation Christmas. Yeah, I, I don't. She wasn't it. You're right. She was a congresswoman in Operation Christmas Dump. Drop. Dump. (laughs) Dump is probably just. But yeah, I remember seeing clips for it on Netflix. I'd be watching like Tom Segura or something. It would say, if you like Tom Segura, you'll like Operation Christmas Drop. And I don't think I will, actually. So anyway. Yeah, I didn't. I don't. Think... I did not know about that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like you're going to rush out and flip that one on. So I wouldn't worry about it. But anyway. <laughs> wow. This is that's. uh, Yeah. That's recent. That's yeah. last, last last year. Year, holy cow! No wonder I was like looking. I'm like, oh well, surely this was in the '90s, right? The Operation Dumbo Drop sequel. So, uh, the Virginia Madsen assault. Those of you who love Virginia Madsen, though, I will say, my favorite sexy Virginia Madison is a movie called The Hot Spot. It's her and Don Johnson. So it's like a total steamy, um, mm. like a fairy uh-huh. type movie. But I think it's one that Dennis Hopper directed. I like that you just called it uh, Virginia Madison, like Ashley Madison. Is that kind of like where uh, your brain went? That's her, that's her only fans. <laughs> I think Is it's it... got like Jennifer Conley in it. And, um, Does yeah. it have more than side boob? Oh... You know, I'm in. I'll find out. Yeah, I I don't remember if it's got boob, but she is smoking hot in it. That's what I remember. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. Yes, it does indeed have uh, Jennifer Connelly in it. 6.4 out of 10 on the IMDb rating. So I'm sure it is just, just excellent. Watch it along with Sideways. I'm sure it's 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 perfect. Um, oh, here you go. Uh, Dennis Hopper said that Virginia Madsen claimed she was quote very embarrassed by the amount of her on-screen nudity. Boom. Oh, really? Okay. Well, okay. Great. Where can I watch this? Three out of four stars by Roger Ebert. Hey. Wow. What was the name of that again? The Hot Spot. <laughs> okay. Thank the you. The Hot Spot. Uh, Why have I never heard of this? The only thing I remember with hot in it with her is hot to trot, which is oh, also, oh, oh no, <laughs> probably not as much sex scenes as I'm thinking this one is. Yes, the Disney <laughs> film. Yeah, you know, uh, when you talk to Richard Dreyfuss next, see if they wrote all that out of that script, will you, bro? Yeah, I will. I'll ask him tomorrow. <laughs> or Fire with Fire. If we're talking about hot. That's actually the first movie I ever saw her in. Was Fire with Fire, which. It's not a great movie, but man, I watched it a lot when I was younger. Oh my! I mean, this doesn't wow. this doesn't have bad reviews. The hot spot. So, who knew? Mm, I don't 73% know. Seventy three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, probably just because of her nudity. What is Pluto TV? It's on Pluto TV. This movie. Oh, Pluto TV. It's. It, it's it's a weird that? service that you can get through your cable, but it is also a streaming service, and they just it's like an old Viacom 
Aptopy. We talked about that last year for some movies, didn't we, Andy? Yeah, because for a while they had a James Bond channel and you could just turn it on and they would always have like seven or eight James Bond movies in rotation. Uh, but then they lost all of them to Amazon or, or someone. So, yeah. But Pluto TV had a had a James Bond channel for a while. Um, yeah, it's, 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 check out Pluto TV. It's it's another streaming service that you can get that doesn't cost anything, but it does have commercials. So. It used to be a real TV, and then they said it was too small, so now it's just a normal. Ah, okay. <laughs> Brought to you by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay, okay. All right, let's do it. The box office for this movie. This is a cult classic for a reason, folks. So don't don't get too upset here. I'm just the messenger. But this movie only made $25.5 million in its initial release in 1992, which adjusted for inflation is only $56.4 million. And it cost 30 to make for some reason? No, I thought I thought eight. I don't know. I don't have a budget number here. That I, that might be true. I thought sure. I thought Box Office Mojo said it was it cost thirty million. Oh, in my deep dive last night, I swear I saw eight million because they were trying to keep it on a lower budget because you know horror films notoriously don't they they're yeah, not blockbusters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think the thirty million dollar one would have been the one where where they wanted to get a. Eddie Murphy and Sandra Bullock yeah. instead of Tony Todd what, and uh, Virginia Madsen. Yeah, what what Melissa said that that's I see eight to nine million, but then I see a couple sites of thirty million. So mm-hmm. that's um, weird. That anyway. sounds. I I bet that's some some Hollywood uh, chicanery bookkeeping where they're like the initial budget was eight to ten, and then. Uh, it, it had like a life of its own on video and cable. And they're like, oh, suddenly this is like a cult classic. Um, we don't want to have to actually pay people for this movie. So we're going to say it costs 30 million. So we can right. recoup more of the cost. For the well, and the sequels were only three to five million. So I, I, I'm with you, Melissa. I don't think it could be a 27 million decrease. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't think so. So, yeah, um, uh, we, we, we've talked over a couple of these, but studio notes here. Um, studio notes. No, 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 uh, pink, Pepto pink, <laughs> and no steak cutting at the end, I think. I don't. There has to be the steak cutting, though, so she'll have the knife in her hand. Oh, that's fair. I think she could have just been like chopping vegetables, though. Okay. Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. Yeah, but then no foreshadowing, right? That's yeah, true. I guess not. I mean, I guess unless you chop a carrot, and then that's where the split starts. Ah. <laughs> she splits a carrot like right down the middle. I I gotta I gotta be honest with you. I really enjoyed the first hour and fifteen minutes. I don't know that there's much I would change, right? Like I just I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Maybe not, not use maybe not use the Microsoft PowerPoint for your credits, right? Like zoom from left, zoom from right, zoom from top. That kind of was weird. Yeah, better opening credits. I think that's a good one. There, yeah, I wouldn't change a whole lot here. I'm not saying this is a perfect movie, but like, 
It's pretty close to being a perfect version of this movie. Yeah, good way to put it. Yeah, I, I don't have any studio notes because I, you know, it, it's hard to have studio notes for something where you're still unpacking all the layers. You know, uh, what I good mean? point. Like, good point. I mean, I, I'm telling you, we we could watch this ten more times and still pick up new things probably that we didn't notice before. You know, which which is you know nice that we have these discussions because with four people picking up different things, you know. It sort of saves you time, like like I'm still I'm sure there's still things that none of us picked up on yet, but you know it, at, at least we have an idea. But I still think there's just so much more to unpack, and I I just think it's a great movie, and I think it's really underrated, and it the performances are underrated. I I don't understand why this doesn't get more due, you know, I, and I wonder if maybe it's like people were young when they watched it, like us. And just thought it was like a slasher flick and didn't really catch all the other stuff, the nuance. Yeah. And maybe that's why it's not appreciated. But this this deserves way more credit than it gets. The the most hilarious thing that I keep hearing are all of these neckbeards out there saying like, why does Candyman have to be political? Why does it have to have some social message, SJW stuff? And it's like, did you watch the original movie? Like, did you like? I don't think you did. Um, it's it's funny. I think some people just do not remember this movie uh, for its nuance. Um, that's an interesting, you know, way to remember. It. It's like, oh, it's just like the bees and the violence, and that's it. So. Which sort of plays into the whole point of the movie, right? A little, little bit. A little <laughs> bit. A little bit. So, uh, Candyman, go uh, go kill all those people who are trash-talking your movie. Please. Um, any other studio notes? Okay. Uh, best one-liners or quotes? I mean... I heard you're looking for Candyman, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I like it when he says he's going to uh, uh, slash you from groin to gullet just because nobody ever uses the word gullet anymore. Like, this should. We should bring that back. Yeah, let's bring it back. We're taking it back. No, really. Um, Gullet. (laughs) <laughs> it's just it was just kind of neat to hear that and i guess i'm guessing they did it for the alliteration like G- two g's like groin gullet you know because they could have just said groin to throat or you know whatever you know what i mean um yeah yeah gullet i don't know why i just like that word the whole all of his like very visual quotes um mm. you know like the that your your disbelief destroyed my congregation and now you know don't don't you want to be immortal to be whispered about at street corners like all of that stuff is just so cool right the the pain will be exquisite but your names will be written on a thousand walls um that's just such a really cool um all of his dialogue is is just so unique for a for a horror film, quote unquote, right? Um, 
I, I did like the what do the good know except what the bad teach them by their excesses. Um, mm. I, I thought he I thought he had a couple of lines like that that sort of tied into the overall message as well. I, I found some of those lines. You're right. I, I found her to be a little Shakespearean, which ties into the sweets for my. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I didn't even think about that. that's great. Um, I did like some of um, I'm trying to remember. Was it Anne Marie? Um, you know, some of her lines where she's saying. What what do you do? What are you doing here? Right, like how we're all bad, we're all on drugs, right? I just want to raise my child, who you will take for thirty days somehow, and then bring back to me. <laughs> that poor kid had terrible diaper rash. I'm sure. By the time that was done. But yeah, those were. I, I, Melissa's right on. Some of that was written very well and very, like you said, Shakespearean. It's a. It's almost like an homage. And, and I love that that in order for him to say things like that, he had to be well-educated, which we, we know from his backstory, but you know, it kind of goes against the whole thing about like black people being uneducated or ignorant or something. And I also, to that point, I, I have to say, I love how this show or this movie rather um, treated, you know, cause like you have the, the black, the young black single mom, who's a stereotype, especially in the eighties and nineties, you know, and, they treated her not like you know like like you know how the like the reagan era like uh food stamp mom type of uh, i forget the word he used but you know like they just take from the system they keep having blah 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 you know so that they can never mm -hmm. work and there was that terrible i mean that stereotype endures even today and okay. um and they treated her like you know she's just trying to do the best and she's really working hard and you know what i mean like and then like even those guys in the stairwell when the girls are going up they they kind of verbally harass them a bit but they never get physical with them you know they they just warn other people that they might be the police um and even when she's in that bathroom with those like four or five guys she just gets punched like in any other movie she would have been raped and murdered by those people you know what i'm saying like like they like the only black person who's a threat is Candyman, and he's not real which i think is kind of the point like they're trying to say black people aren't the threat that you think they are you understand what yeah. i'm and totally. and so you know you have this well-educated eloquent black man but you know I don't know. I just appreciated the way they didn't. They played into some stereotypes, especially as Helen as a white woman, like she should be scared of him, you know. Um, but then others they tried to subvert, and I just appreciated that. And I forgot to mention it earlier, so I'm just mentioning it now. Yeah, that's yeah, no, I don't have studio notes anyway. That's good. <laughs> All right. Any other any other lines that we liked? Uh, I I noted when we were when we were talking last night that the line "Come with me and be immortal" sure doesn't uh, like work as a pickup line. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it's, uh, bad, too bad, bad for your Bumble profile there, Tony Todd. <sighs> Bumble profile. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. Wow. Thanks for trying, Andy. I appreciate it. <laughs> got, yeah. That took me a hot minute. <laughs> I, had that written, I had that written on my hand. I'm like, I got to get a bumble joke in here. <laughs> That's uh, fucking yeah, yeah, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to swipe left on that. Is it swipe left or swipe? I don't know. 
I'm saying no to that one. <laughs> yeah, hook okay. me with that one. Oh, yikes. That's what all the buzz is about. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, best side character. I got Jake. a number. Jake. Jake. Jake is Jake is the goat Jake. side character. He's my favorite side character in like many, many movies. I yeah. thought Jake was great. Jake not from State Farm. Jake from Cabrini Green. <laughs> yeah, he was my favorite. I thought he was terrific. Jake was super creepy. Oh, he was so great. I love Jake. Anyone else? No. No? Oh, we just all love Jake. All yeah. Right. I mean, she Bernadette just because... Yeah. You tried to warn her, you know. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this in the chat last night. Like, black woman trying to warn the white woman, and the white woman won't listen. And look what happened. If she just yeah. listened to Bernadette, don't she would have been okay. Don't go into the stupid cabinet, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, is there a best song in this movie? For an hour and a half. I believe is the best song. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't think there were any songs in this movie. Mm. Just uh, Philip just, Glass stream just of content. Philip Glass score. Yeah, uh, it's too bad. Candyman needs a theme song, or so does? Couldn't he? afford a composer. They already spent thirty million. I mean, yeah, it's all over. That's all they have. Honey bunch. They couldn't. They couldn't get Candyman you. knocking boots. You know, you put that in here. I'd like a remix of I've Had the Time of My Life with Tony Todd singing it with Virginia Madsen. I would have liked oh, that. That would actually be pretty great. Yeah, that would. That's that would be great. You know, as, he's okay. carrying her, as he's carrying her away from the, to the altar, he's like, I've had the time of my life. <laughs> She's all swooning. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Oh, so good. Okay. I think we all agree here. Is this a good movie? Yeah. Hell yes. Yeah. Well done, Brooke. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, show. Sorry okay. about the next two, but great job on this. <laughs> it's worth it to get to the end, we hope. Hell yeah. Yeah. So is the main character here a good person? Do we uh, interpret that as... Are we talking as... about Virginia Madsen or... Yeah, or Tony Todd. I don't know. Um, is the better question has society allowed them to be a good person or did society take away what would have made them a good person um, and vengeance is their only recourse yeah because it, it's like it, I don't know is, you killed it JV I know I mean, but this goes back to the Next ultimate time I'll question just say no <laughs> Is is Helen the ultimate uh, like one responsible for all the deaths here? And if so, then she's probably not a good person. But if we're talking about Candyman, like it would um, be interesting if you're thinking about the whole, like Brooke said, with the whole tie-in. Was she destined to do this? Like, was she destined to start? Because if you take choice out of it, yeah. Then if you take choice out of it, then there is no good or bad. You're right. just they're just doing know. what they were going to do. 
Right. So, so I don't think Candyman is a bad person. He's just a malevolent spirit, but he doesn't, you know, there's no morality in that. It's just he's he's anger and revenge. So, I don't know. No, uh, he's not a good person. Yeah. Well, okay. I think... he, yeah. I mean, he murders people. He's a murderer. Like, <laughs> uh, murder it's not like bad. he's Dexter picking out the right people to kill. Like, no. I think, but I think the idea of being good people. So, okay. In Ayurvedically speaking, like in the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about karma and they talk about ghost bodies. And people who are in ghost bodies are people who have been killed in some sort of tragic or anger method and death. And so pre-death, I think he was a very good person who believed in society that they would be better than what he had been brought up to believe they would be. And he ultimately paid this the price of his life with it. But now that he's been caught in this like anger, death, tragic, violent ghost body, he's, that goodness is gone and replaced with vengeance and fear. <laughs> Bees. Bees. Angry, angry bees. Hell and Uh, yeah. If B. Arthur had been in this movie, I would have lost my shit. Let's be honest. (laughs) Okay, and should you show this movie to children? (laughs) Oh, God, no. No. I mean, I don't know. I was already like 16 or something when I saw it. I don't think I'd show it to my kids until they're at least like maybe I don't I think it's different like age is different for different kids but they gotta be older or they're not gonna be able to you know I mean I'm just gonna say and I think we've talked about this before the worst parenting mom moment that I've ever had in my entire life was when I thought it would be a really fun good idea to show my daughter Watcher in the Woods during the actual eclipse. She was four, (laughs) maybe five, and I will never show her another horror movie in my entire life. I'm a horrible person and I, it was awful. So no, please, for the love of God, don't show this to children. It's a PG movie. The Disney Corporation says it's obviously fine. She couldn't go to the bathroom on her own for a year. I she know. was terrified. I know that movie. That movie is. At some point, we should we should talk Watcher in the Woods. Not this Halloween. Maybe next Halloween we'll talk Watcher in the Woods. Because uh, this Halloween we're going to talk about Hannibal. So. Yes. Oh my God, we're going through such good movies. I know. It's going to be fun. Mostly horror for the next like two three months. We got all the Candyman movies. Then we're going to do. A little bit of Disney and then and then Hannibal, so um, that should I'm be fun. I'm excited about all the horror. I mean, if we if they start, I mean, I've already seen some some Christmas shit out in the already in some of the stores. So if they can do Christmas in August, we can talk horror all the way up to Halloween. That's right. Yep. Hey, there are some movie podcasts that only talk about horror movies all year round. I think we I mean, can start in August. My TJ Maxx already has pumpkins out, so we can talk about Halloween whenever we So does Joanne's. Yep. So F that, it's Halloween time. We could talk about Mads anytime we want, Melissa. Let's do it. Yeah. Bring it on. Okay, cool. So next week we're going to talk about the 
the the two um that's right Helen sorry right uh, the, the two Candyman sequels, one of them is available on Amazon Prime if you have uh, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription. And the other one, um, oh, it was on something else. I can't remember. Uh, but it's a little bit harder to find, but you you might have to spend four bucks and rent it. As long uh, as it goes into James Woods' pocket. Exactly. <laughs> At least it won't do that. Um, but that's it. So, um, yay for we survived Candyman and no, no one's dead. So, no, my freezer is scaring the shit out yeah, of me. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk into another room and away from this for a minute because I got to be careful. Andy, uh, if we do the amazon prime do we want to hang out again and that was hilarious so yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't i don't know if we can do it for both of these movies i don't know no, i don't think you i don't think you want to you the third one especially if i remember correctly you want to you want to be able to fast forward it on your own so, okay or or imbibe substances to uh make it go away yeah i think so okay um okay we'll we'll enjoy that and, uh, yeah um okay everybody we'll we'll see you next week with more candy man see you soon ellen bye ellen bye ellen enjoy your meat <laughs> sorry you should have had the flight of the bumblebee hook line and sinker <laughs> You are waiting all podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it was written on his hand. Oh, got the humble line. Throw back your head and kiss it all goodbye. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important. You can just kiss all that goodbye. Hello, I'm the podcaster without fear, Luke. I'm the uncanny Ryan. I am Kylie the Poodinger. I am the superior Caitlin. And I am the agitated Kyle. And, and we, we are most of the Nerd Dome Podcast. Every Friday, some variation of this group gets together and talks about all things nerd. The newest stuff in TV, movies, comics, video games, and more. So join us in the Dome every Friday to hear all things nerd. From a bunch of people who are probably a bit too into it. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.